Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Avalanche, nothing personal word of the day for Wednesday, October 13th, 2021 is an avalanche. You don't want to get caught in an avalanche. Nothing good happens. You can even die, can't breathe. You can escape an avalanche if you're James Bond on a snowmobile, even on skis. I've seen stunt guys do that, snowboards. A PR avalanche is impossible to escape. But only the smart ones know when it's coming. And then they get ahead of it, knowing they're going to get crushed, but yet they're not going to die. Now, of course, I'm not being literal. I'm being figurative. The figurative avalanche that is taking place revolves around the NFL. Pay attention. John Gruden, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Players Union, federal court, libel, the commissioner, Everybody's involved. It's like a movie, what's going on. Yesterday, we talked about the John Gruden situation, how he resigned, but he didn't resign. He was terminated. How there had been an agreement in place for what he'd get paid. But now we are seeing the aftershocks. What we thought those emails were talking about women and queers and black people's body parts that Gruden was talking about and emailing about. That turns out that was just the tip, just the tip, just this once. What we're now discovering is that within those 650,000 emails that the NFL has gone through, there's some other nuggets. On top of that, there's some emails that are part of a whole other lawsuit between Daniel Snyder and his erstwhile president, Bruce Allen. This show covered many months ago when Daniel Snyder was so incensed that he made Steve Cohn look disinterested in terms of finding the source of the Mets travails. Dan Snyder is taking Bruce Allen to court, trying to prove that his old president was the source of negative articles written in a publication, an Indian publication. And this lawsuit has not been settled. It continues to go on. Part of that lawsuit includes emails that are fully redacted, that are meant to prove the existence of a relationship between Bruce Allen and the media. Bruce Allen's also involved in emails on the Washington football team server with John Gruden and various other people that are part of the football league, the NFL's investigation into Dan Snyder's actions, having nothing to do 
with Dan Snyder's anger at Bruce Allen about Bruce Allen's actions. Are you following the trail here? Because there is a central figure to everything that ails the NFL in the beltway, and his name is Daniel. Everyone thought Snyder got away scot-free, no problem. $10 million fine, piece of cake. Step away from day-to-day, no problem. Hire Tani to run the team, we're all good. Well, now all of a sudden, little things are beginning to build into avalanche size issues. So where do we stand? Roger Goodell has tried not to get involved, but now it's too late. Roger Goodell got involved only leaking a few emails about John Gruden because it was his opinion that a coach saying bad things about Roger Goodell, a coach saying bad things about the issues that matter to the NFL, that coach has to be squashed out like the head of the snake. You get rid of that coach. You let the Raiders know about the existence of the emails. You assume that's the end of the story. Gruden gone. Goodell fine. Move on. But then the story continues because now journalists are digging a little deeper. Lawyers want more information. Forget the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting rid of Gruden from their ring of honor and coming out with some ridiculous statement about it. That's what's the word? Collateral damage. That's all that is. That didn't matter. There was no reason for the Buccaneers to do a release, but they did it because they felt as though it would make them look sort of woke and that they're on top of it and that they don't want to be associated with someone like Rudin who'd have these views. So they just say the Buccaneers have advocated for purposeful change in the areas of race, gender, diversity, inclusion for many years. We love Gruden as a coach. Sick. They didn't say that exactly. But his actions, quote, go against our core values as an organization. Therefore, he will no longer continue to be a member of the Buccaneers ring of honor. That's the new thing. If you are canceled and you have anything or any honorary degree, you have your number retired, you're in it. You're not the Hall of Fame because you can't get taken out of the Hall of Fame for character issues. We know this. But clearly, teams have no choice this day and age to step up and erase, go full Schwarzenegger on everything related to their association with the team, while, of course, thanking them for the Super Bowl. So that's not even the big part of the story because once Gruden's gone – then that's it, right? We're good. I'm Roger Goodell. I'm good. Then he gets word that some of the emails involved in the Bruce Allen, Dan Snyder fight, which are not redacted the way the emails are in the New York Times leak. But some of the emails talk about ESPN personalities and some actually mention like an Adam Schefter, an NFL insider by name. And Roger Goodell still says we're good because all that shows is that Bruce Allen was giving stuff to Adam Schechter. So when you're an insider, you're not really an insider. You're only a little bit of an insider. All you do is have a relationship. It's not really a big deal, right? That's sort of how Roger Goodell wants this to play out. All the news and all the attention right now on ESPN, ESPN had to release a statement saying we are full of journalistic integrity. We are all into our journalists getting to the truth. Don't worry that sometimes we ask our sources to edit our stories. That's okay. Don't worry that we're getting information from sources. That's our job. Don't worry that we're the mouthpiece for sources because we've always known it. You've never known it, but now you know it. And Roger Goodell is on the sideline saying we're good. 
Schefter may have a problem now, but I'm still good. The league and its revenue were still covered. Then the avalanche goes a little further down, gets a little bit of extra attention. When lawyers for the women who were harassed in the front office of the Washington football team step up and say, excuse me, um, just don't mind, Roger. Could you help us? Because we feel like we're not being treated right. And by the way, uh, we're the ones who have been mistreated the most in this WFT situation. So could you go ahead and maybe leak or release all the other emails that you found that didn't involve John Gruden that may go to the personality or intention of Daniel Snyder? Any chance you do that? We're going to release a statement, Roger. Are you ready for it? We're releasing a statement representing all of the harassed women of the owner you're trying to protect. It's truly outrageous that after the NFL's 10-month-long investigation involving hundreds of witnesses, 650,000 documents related to the longtime culture of harassment and abuse at the WFT, the only person to be held accountable and lose their job is the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Hallelujah. What a great point, right? That was the object from the beginning when Goodell saw that he could get a fall guy, not as an owner, but as a coach. That's a 6'6 Yahtzee, baby. Roger Goodell has no interest in having Daniel Sutter get caught in an uncompromising position that could compromise Roger Goodell. If you pull a Sterling which is the owner of the Clippers who's caught on taping racist, you as an owner are not going to be protected by the commissioner because the commissioner can say, who knew? But now that I know, see you later. Marge Schott gets told to sell her team. She owned the Cincinnati Reds. Who knew? Oi, she just came out as a Nazi sympathizer. Now I know, sell the team. Roger Goodell cannot realistically say, as he sits here today, that he is not aware of everything Daniel Snyder did. He's had access to every email. He's got people who work for him who have called through the emails, who have been able to articulate what is going on with the WFT, with Snyder, with Bruce Allen, with John Gruden, with Adam Schefter, with anybody else on any of the emails. Roger Goodell has that information. And if he is choosing not to go after Dan Snyder, that's because A, he doesn't have enough, or B, he doesn't have the support of the other owners. Roger Goodell can go after John Gruden without speaking to one other owner. See you later. I'll call you Mark Davis, and I'm telling you what's going to happen, and it's happening. But I don't need to call anyone else. If I'm going to go after Dan Snyder, one of the owners who pays me my money, I'm only doing that with the full approval, pre-approval of 24 of the other 31 owners. I want to know that anything I'm doing, I have my back covered, my next contract, and my permanent reputation as commissioner of the game. Owners are protected in a way that players are not, that coaches are not. And before you get upset about it, it's just life. 
The commissioner would not be doing his job if he were not protecting the owners. He was protecting Daniel Snyder for himself when he did the $10 million fine. And when he moved him aside to bring in his wife as though that would fool anybody. It is amazing how the NFL thinks that they can pull one over on all of us. But it must work because Goodell continues to get paid. He continues to get support. What are you doing now if you're Daniel Snyder? Are you worried that Roger's going to turn on you? Are you worried that Roger is going to have to answer to these lawyers for the women who are harassed by the football team? Or are you worried about the NFL Players Association? Roger Goodell and the other owners worry a lot about the NFL Players Association. They came out and said they're going to request that the NFL release the remainder of the 650,000 emails. Uh-oh. Why would the Players Association want emails to be released? Hmm. Because none of those emails are communications with players, by players. They're only about players. It's yet another way to drive a division between management and union. Wouldn't it be a phenomenal source of leverage to get access to an email that talks about collusion, Parcheesi? That talks about an owner who may be racist, sexist, misogynistic, or violent? Or how about an owner who says, I don't want to win? Would that be a good one? How about an owner that says, I want to win, but only with players who look just like I do? Would that be good for the union? Often the unions mistake what's good for them as being good for the game. And more times than not, what is good for the game is also good for them. Think about back as Coca and I were talking about this show and trying to get you to think about issues that happen between unions and owners. Think about the Colin Kaepernick collusion case as an example. Think about the fact that they were trying to prove the union didn't care if Kaepernick got a job or not. They didn't care about him kneeling for the anthem or not. Their major issue was very simple. If we can prove that all owners got together and said, we will not sign Kaepernick, cha-ching, you're going to have to pay because management cannot conspire or collude against union members. If we can also accuse the owners of collusion while saying in a high and mighty way, we are the union, we stand for gender equality, racial equality, and the social reckoning is upon us. That's just bonus points. Make no mistake, the union is not interested in forwarding your social agenda. They're interested in making sure that their players get paid and that the owners do not break the labor rules. Lest you think that Roger Goodell and the owners are concerned with players' social reckoning with all of the messages that appear on the football field, on the helmet. They are only concerned with protecting their assets. And you can't protect your asset without protecting your ass. So everything that Goodell does is informed by that goal. So what's next? 
if this avalanche continues, who can get swept up? Who could be another fall guy? Could it be Goodell? Could this go all the way to the top and bring him down? Not likely. Could there be another coach implicated? What about a no longer in the game executive or coach? Bingo. B4. Yahtzee. That is page two of the playbook in commissioner's offices, in front offices. When you see the avalanche coming and you realize that the existing fall guy is not sufficient, you start looking for more. And the next best candidate is a big name, someone who's no longer affiliated, but used to be. Who am I talking about? Okuni Day. I have no idea. Not going to mention names. There's a million coaches out there who are famous who aren't coaching. There's a million front office executives that you've never heard of who are no longer active. But if you heard that name again out of nowhere because there were emails that were found to say the following about something or a guy was CC'd on an email, you said, oh, my God, that guy used to run my team 30 years ago, coach my team 20 years ago, be the GM of my team 10 years ago, be the president of my team five years ago. When you look at CCs of emails, you're going to find something like that. How do people not use their personal server and Gmail is for another story, another day. When you are on your work email and your work device, a little word to the wise, don't write anything you don't want to read about on the front page of the paper and have your boss and your family read it. That's a little nugget for y'all. Never email something that you don't want to read again in bold face headlines on your favorite news app. Actually, now that used to be it. You don't want to write anything that you don't want as a headline. Now I'm going to do this in the 2020s. Don't send anything to anyone that you wouldn't want to receive in a text alert. Did I get you? Are we clear? I wasn't clear about something, by the way. I called John Gruden, a former coach of the Washington Redskins. Thank you for all the people listening to Nothing Personal. Thank you for all the people who corrected me. In fact, Jay Gruden, his brother, was the coach of the Redskins, not John Gruden. I got that wrong. I don't know how to transition, Coca. There's a game five coming up. Should we transition that way? The Astros are going to the league championship series. Should I just say it? I'm just going to get right into it. Did you watch the Astros White Sox? I loved it because I'm sick and tired of Tony La Russa thinking he's a good manager and thinking he's the difference maker in getting these White Sox to the next step. It was very clear to my, in my mind that the Chicago White Sox were not going to beat the Astros. You know, we picked the Astros. And yesterday, the Astros crushed them. They started Lance McCullers in a game four. Everyone was excited because the White Sox had won game three. The Astros are now going to their fifth consecutive league championship series. For all the haters out there, the Astros are giving you the bird. They're flipping it right to you because they're stealing signs. They're being accused of stealing signs by the White Sox. You heard what I said yesterday about Dusty Baker and what a great line he had, a great retort. Never throw stones if you live in a glass house, quoting an Eric Clapton song. 
saying that the White Sox telling us that we're stealing signs is laughable. Tony La Russa getting angry after yesterday's game that the Astros hit Jose Abreu late in the game with the Astros up by nine runs. And La Russa saying how unprofessional that is. I was on the floor laughing. Tony La Russa is the king of intentionally throwing at hitters. That is his gig. That's his jam, baby. He was so despondent. There was nothing he could do, right? He just had to blame somebody for this horrific showing by the White Sox, who, by the way, wasn't really that horrific because they've pretty much been bad against teams below 500 all season. Uh, Excuse me. Cut that. 40-69. Tony LaRusso and the White Sox have been bad in general this season against teams above 500. So what did you think they would do when they got to the playoffs? Just beating up on bad teams gets you to October, maybe, but it certainly does not get you to win a series. So the Astros are celebrating. Everyone's excited. And then there was a little nugget released that made the Red Sox tear up. They got tears in their eyes as the Red Sox are going to Houston for game one. Lance McCullers, the game four starter, the number one pitcher for the Houston Astros, has forearm tightness. Forearm tightness is code for injured list. Forearm tightness during the regular season is a shutdown and then a rebuild back up. You're talking two weeks if everything is perfect. My experience says it's more like four to six at best. During the playoffs, playoffs, forearm tightness, I don't want to hear it. I got a player coming in. He's not on a long-term deal. My answer to that player is, can you pitch? Can you get through it? The player then calls his agent and says, should I be pitching with forearm tightness? The agent says, hell no. Don't have to be there for my team? Hell no. Don't I want to win a ring? Hell no. You want a contract. Lance McCullers, if he can't pitch in the league championship series because of forearm tightness, is really going to hurt the Astros. There's no doubt about that. That was the biggest negative that came from the Astros crushing. That wasn't the only game of note that happened yesterday. And I got to spend a few minutes on it, Coca. Do you want me to talk Brewers after the break? Or can I go right into what happened with Josh Hader? Because it was absolutely mind boggling watching him give up a home run the way he did. We're going to do it after the break. I'm going to review a five-part series on HBO Max called Scenes from a Marriage. And then we're going to talk about the Brewers and how my World Series pick, Brewers v. Rays, was for 2022, not 2021. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. It's something right now. I'm still, it's October. I feel like absolute crap. I'm exhausted. I have a sore throat, fever, don't have COVID, total headache. Here with you, happy to be here. Still watching movies and shows. I watched a five-parter called Scenes from a Marriage, a COVID-filmed show with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. We're talking about two Academy Award-nominated actors. I don't know if either one has won. Maybe Jessica Chastain has one. I cannot remember, Coke. Has one of them won, or are they both just nominees? Either way, you're talking about a tour de force of acting in a remake of Ingmar Bergman sort of two-person show. The main actors are a husband and wife. And during the course of five parts, you see scenes from their marriage. And it's not back and forth. The timeline starts at the beginning and it ends at the end. And what goes on in between is a bit of acting that will make you look at the screen, open your mouth and say, hmm, are they together in real life? Hmm. Does this happen in real life? Because it looks mighty familiar to me. Hmm. Was COVID going on during this? They remind you it was by showing you scenes. The beginning of each show actually show the actors going through the COVID protocols and how the sort of sets are and how the filming goes. So it's like behind the scenes and then they just enter into acting. It's fascinating how each of these start. Scenes from marriage uh, is scary. Not in a horror way. It's scary in a is that me way? It's scary in a could that be me way? It's scary in the I don't want that to be me, but it was me way. Scenes for a marriage. Check it out. All right. So I'm watching a triple header yesterday, which second Astros were first, then come the Brewers. Brewers, my World Series pick. I already lost the moon with my pick because the Rays lost to the Red Sox. Absolutely got crushed in that pick. Brewers are down 2-1 to the Braves. Braves are not a bad team. But the Brewers are better. They've shut out two games in a row. But getting that third win is always hard in a five-game series. The Brewers got their first hit with runners in scoring position. They've got a 2-0 lead. And I'm thinking, all right, we're going to win game four. Go back to Milwaukee. We got Corbin Burns ready to go for game five. Brewers move on to the LCS, having the Brewers in the World Series because they will have no problem beating the Dodgers or Giants. This is me in my head. So the Brewers then are in the World Series. So at least I get to say half my pick was right. And then I'm going to root for the Red Sox in the LCS because then I can say that the team who beat my pick was the better team or luckier team here there on the World Series. So all that's in my head. And then the Brewers could not get a shutdown inning. A shutdown inning is the single most important inning of any baseball game. That is the inning after your team scores for you, when as a pitcher, you have to not let the other team return the favor. Every time the Brewers scored, they did not get a shutdown inning and the Braves would tie it. The Brewers would score again. The Braves would tie it. We are now going into the eighth inning 
and the Brewers bring in the best closer in baseball in the eighth inning on the road. Outrageous. Hadn't given up a home run since July. Hadn't given up a home run to a lefty since not at all this year. Freddie Freeman, MVP, lefty, comes to the plate. A two-strike slider, and it slid all the way into the stands in the outfield. The Braves take a 5-4 lead. Josh Hader's despondent beyond repair, and the Brewers are going to need a run in the top of the ninth. What was Josh Hader doing in the game? Don't let Craig Council fool you. Don't let David Stearns fool you. Josh Hader was in that game at that moment because Devin Williams was home with a broken hand. Josh Hader was in that game at that moment because Devin Williams broke his hand by punching a wall after celebrating the Brewers making the playoffs. I thought they could overcome it, but to overcome it, you couldn't be in a position like they were in and they were in it and it came up snake eyes. But the Brewers have one more chance and Christian Yelich does not look like Christian Yelich right now. He struggled this season. My guess is his back is bothering him more than he's saying because he's such a gamer. It looks like he's striking out in ways that he doesn't normally strike out. He has an unbelievable self-awareness of the strike zone. And Christian Yelich went full Carlos Beltran. Who remembers that? Any Met fans out there? Do you remember Adam Wainwright, the guy who just pitched for the Cardinals in the wild card game against the Dodgers a few days ago? That Adam Wainwright happened to be a starter now, but in 2006, his rookie year, 2006, he was a rookie closer for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's been on the Cardinals his whole career, but he went from closer to starter. Totally revamped his whole game, by the way. So the LCS in 2006 was the Mets Cardinals. Carlos Beltran at the plate called strike three on a back-breaking, pun intended, curveball. So I was thinking about that watching Yelich end his season, knowing he's got to think about that because Beltran thinks about that the rest of his life. He still talks about being caught looking. Now, this was only the division series, not the LCS, but still for Yelly, this is going to be in his head. And he's not an excuse guy. He's not going to say my back was hurting. He's not going to say anything. He's going to say, I got beaten that day. That's publicly what he's saying to himself and to his teammates. Holy crap. I got to get better. The front office for the Brewers has to be panicked. This was a window for them to win and finally get the franchise's first World Series. And it just shows you how hard it is. The Astros are in their fifth straight lead championship series. The Brewers were trying to make it to their second all-time World Series, first since 1982. It's not going to happen. But now the Braves are in their second straight lead championship series. The Braves who lost Acuna. Remember Acuna Matata? Done. Ozuna, their big signing, that big four-year deal. Now he's got the domestic violence issue. He's not on the team. Their number one starter, Mike Soroka, done. He broke his Achilles. After he broke his Achilles, hasn't pitched all year. Meanwhile, Max Fried, Charlie Morton, and Ian Anderson are like not Larry Moe and Curly. They're like who would be a great example of an unbelievable top three. I could say Burns, Woodworth, Peralta, right? I could say Scherzer, Bueller, 
Kershaw, I could say that, right? Hmm. Is it possible that Morton, Freed, Anderson are better than all of them? Well, the way they're pitching right now, combined with the Braves, the bullpen, ending with Will Smith, indicates to me the Braves may have the best pitching staff left in terms of right now performance. Mintner, Matzik, I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong. It's the seventh inning guy. Back to back to back. Don't sleep on the Braves. We'll talk more about this series coming up, but they did it. Congratulations to Freeman. And then we had the nightcap that kept me up till one in the morning. Did you watch the Dodgers and Giants? A couple of things of note happened in that game. Gabe Kapler could be accused, he's the manager of the Giants, of overmanaging. They started a former Marlin, a former player we had named Anthony Descalfani, a guy we traded maybe prematurely. He's been pretty good since, even though Coca disagrees with me, he has been good enough. He's been hurt. He got a one-year pillow contract. He was going to cash in on free agency because he really did have a good year this year. He pitches in the game. Kapler pulls him in the second inning. He had given up one run in the first, one run in the second. And you got the feeling, if you are an executive watching this game four, that there's going to be a game five. You just have the feeling when you go to enough games, when you're in the front office for enough years. Now, of course, miracles do happen. Eight run eighths can happen. Five run ninths can happen. They are the exception rather than the rule. But Gabe Kapler managed yesterday's game like it was his elimination game. And it was the Dodgers elimination game, not his. He went through 17 pitchers in yesterday's game. I get it. You don't want to go back to Frisco for a winner-take-all game five because you're concerned that you may not be able to hit Urias, but you've got Logan Webb waiting for you. You've got your number one starter, your guy who's undefeated at home waiting for you for your game five. We're going to preview that tomorrow. But all I can say is, did you not think the Giants were going to go five with the Dodgers? The two best teams in baseball, one win apart in the regular season. They will be one win away, one win apart in the postseason. If the Dodgers win tomorrow, then they will have identical records of 109 wins. If the Giants win tomorrow, it'll be 110 to 108 because the postseason started at 107 and 106. That's how good and how close these teams are. There's a travel day on Wednesday, no games, which makes me smile because traveling from L.A. to Frisco, it's pretty easy. The Dodgers will not fly last night. If it were cross country, they would have. They will fly today, take the quick 40-minute flight, get into their hotel, probably do an optional workout at Oracle Park and get ready for what should be an unbelievable game five. We had a pick, guys. The Astros were our pick. We're 132 and 113. I couldn't find a game today. No baseball, no football, no basketball. I could have gone with hockey, but the Kraken lost yesterday. Did the Kraken lose to the Knights at the end? Do you remember, Coca? It was 3 nothing. and the Kraken scored their first goal. I was too busy watching the opening of the Vegas Golden Knights and watching what I assumed would be a Bernie Eumann-type production of just unbelievable excess and incredibleness. That opening of the Vegas Knights was just I couldn't believe what I was watching. 
thinking back to all of our opening nights and how much work we put into it and how now everything is so different and so digital. And it was the Kraken's first ever game. The Kraken lost four to three to the Knights. Not bad. They made it competitive. They were down three, nothing. But I got no pick for you today. 132 and 113. What I do have for you, however, is an update. Another update on Kyrie Irving. Were you listening to yesterday's show when we said that if the Nets were smart, Kyrie Irving would not just miss home games, they would shut him down until he's vaccinated. No sooner did we release the show that Sean Marks, the GM of the New, the New Jersey Nets, the GM of the Brooklyn Nets said, that's it. We're not letting Kyrie Irving play. We cannot be a part of a team that employs part-time players. Kyrie will do what Kyrie has to do, but until then, he's not a net. And I said, ooh-wee, we got an update here. Because that smells a bit like if you don't get vaccinated, we're not going to let you play. That smells a little bit like a violation of the collective bargaining agreement where vaccines by players are not required. But yet the owners get to say, I agree. We can't make the players get vaccinated, but you know what we can do? We can follow state guidelines. And the state guidelines say that players have to be vaccinated to play in New York. Sorry, what do you want us to do? And the union's going to say, then he can't play in New York, but he can sure as heck play in Milwaukee or Arizona or Houston or Phoenix. That's Arizona, isn't it? I can pick 48 other states where he can play. You can't tell my player he can't play. You can't not pay my player. Remember, I gave you a wait to see yesterday. What was it? Did you remember? Coca, that Kyrie is going to play. Kyrie's going to get himself vaccinated. Kyrie's not going to miss time. But then a story came out yesterday after that wait to see that gave me great pause and great concern about the future of old Kyrie Irving, that content provider who I love so much. Multiple sources with direct knowledge of Irving's decision. <laughs> Isn't that Kyrie Irving? or Kyrie Irving's agent, just throwing it out there. Direct knowledge of Irving's decision. Oh, on a side note, there's a lot of wordsmithing that can go on because anyone who reads what Kyrie's decision was can say they have direct knowledge of the decision. Aren't we curious what direct knowledge of the thinking is? But when you write direct knowledge of the decision, hmm, hmm, I have direct knowledge that it's cloudy outside because I'm looking outside and it's cloudy direct knowledge of Irving's decision have told The Athletic that Irving is not anti-vaccine. He's anti-anti-vaccine. He's anti-anti-anti-vaccine. He's triple, quadruple negative, double Lundy against the people who are against the people who are against the vaccine, who are for the people. During the Boston Marathon Monday, there was a guy holding a sign. Quick detour here, Coca. He had a big sign. I don't remember what mile it was because I was delirious. Big sign talking about how we shouldn't get vaccinated, how it's the devil's work, and how now the devil is inside us, 
along with the chip and that we're being followed. And I laughed when I read the sign because I did have a chip with me. It was on the back of my bib. So yes, I was being followed that particular moment. I was being tracked by the Boston Athletic Association, giving updates to family and friends of the progress through the 26.2 miles, not from the vaccine I took. So the man was standing there holding the sign and I was approaching running slower than a styrofoam cup floating in a very weak breeze. And I looked and I said, hey, you're totally right. And he looked at me and he put his hands up and said, yes, I know I'm totally right. Thank you so much. Meanwhile, there were hundreds of people around. I then looked at him and without missing a beat, I said, hey, you're totally wrong. And I kept running and people around cheered and laughed. If you're anti-vax, you're anti-vax, whatever. But don't tell me I got a chip inside me. Just say you don't want to get it. But Irving is not saying that he doesn't want to get the vaccine. His new stance is that he's upset that people are losing their jobs due to vaccine mandates. He wants a grander fight. He doesn't want to fight other players on the court. He wants to fight control in society, people's livelihood. He wants to be a voice for the voiceless, said the source. Please tell me that you're laughing. Could you rewind that? Just do a 10-second rewind on the pod. I think you can do that when you're listening to pods or watching on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. I think you can. He wants to be a voice for the voiceless, one source said. Hey, Kyrie, I got a small question, just tiny. If you want to be a voice to the voiceless, why don't you use your own goddamn voice? How about that? How about you retiring from basketball and going full time into being the voice of the voiceless? How about you retiring from basketball and retiring from being a distraction and instead become a man of the people, by the people, for the people? How about running for president? How about running for local city council? Congress? Senate? Something? How about doing something other than dribbling a basketball? You're capable. You're smart. If you're not anti-anti-anti-vax, and you're not anti-science, but you want to be a voice of the voiceless, and you are upset that people are losing jobs, here's a quick hint. The right of someone to work is based at the will of the employer who employs them. If you don't want to be vaccinated, no problem. Find a job where you don't have to be vaccinated. If you don't want to play basketball, no problem. Find the job where you don't have to score points. If you want to be the voice of the voiceless, no problem. Open your mouth and become that voice. Because I've had it up to here with Kyrie Irving and the championship aspirations of the Brooklyn Nets and the great fan base of the Nets and the front office and the coaching staff and the other players who have to deal with this. He's spoken to close teammates to make sure he's not a distraction. Really? I've been inside those clubhouses. Trust me, you're a distraction. It's like Ben Simmons saying, ah, I'm not a distraction. I'm here. I got COVID tested. I'm ready to go. Really? 
Every day I have another issue with players who believe that their own cause celeb, raison d'etre, which only happens when you've made enough money and guarantees that you can afford to do whatever you want and not make another penny and be fine for this season. I started thinking about Robinson Cano and him using steroids and giving up $30 million of his Mets deal this year, knowing that he had two more years at $30 million. Yeah, I'll do steroids. If I get caught, I get caught. I'll get suspended. No problem. Hey, I don't want to get the vaccine. I can't play in Brooklyn. I'm going to be the voice for the voiceless and the hope for the hopeless. I'm going to be the reason for the irrational. And I'm going to be the rational for the moronic. Yeah, if I give up some money, I give up money. It's the big. It's no big. I got money. I got many money years left. Pun intended. How does this end with Kyrie Irving? I've been thinking about that a lot. I haven't changed my mind. I'm doubling down. I really think I have to. Kyrie Irving's not going to retire because if it retires currently, it's not like Deshaun Watson or some of the other players who are going to still get paid. It's not like John Gruden is going to get paid on his deal after being terminated, but he said he resigned. If Kyrie Irving does not show up to play and voluntarily retires, he will not get paid. That's not an option. Because he can be the voice and the voice that's all he wants, but he wants his money. So I still believe that this ends with Kyrie Irving playing and getting vaccinated and calling some sort of press conference to explain why he changed his course. And it won't be money. It will be the platform I have by being on the court and being there for my teammates will enable me to effectuate change across the board. The abilities that I have, my God-given talent, will help me make this world a better place because we've got serious issues and those issues require someone like me to take care of them. The minute Kyrie Irving retires from basketball, guess what? You'll never be on nothing personal again. No one will care. You want to stay relevant, my friend? Get vaccinated, help your team win, and then take the money you're making and make the difference. I know you're charitable. I know you give dollars away. Keep going. Don't let the Nets keep your salary. Therefore, Kyrie Irving is going to be a Brooklyn Net, but they're still not going to win the title. Because at the end of the day, Kyrie can say whatever he wants, just like you all can, but you know the truth. It's just business. See you soon, Kyrie. It's nothing personal. 